Thanks for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. If these resources have been a blessing to you, we would be honored if you would consider making a donation to our church building fund. To learn more about this unique challenge ahead of us and to partner with us for a gospel legacy in Missoula, please visit achurchbuilding.com. That's achurchbuilding.com. Thanks, Tyler. It's, it's so good to be with you all. I mean, honestly, it's an honor to get to open up God's word together. And um, I do bring greetings from uh, all sorts of people in West LA. It's a uh, uh, pastor at church that is, is just so like-minded, so similar to what God is doing here. And, and it's just exciting to get to, to open up God's word, get to spend some time with, with you, get to spend some time with um, your pastors. It's been a huge encouragement to uh, my wife and I. And, and as, we, as we open up, as, actually as I was talking ahead of time with KJ, um, about what, uh, what would be a blessing to you all here. I gave him a few different options, a few different, different uh, things, topics we could, we could talk about, even uh, psalms we could look at. And when I mentioned lament, he said, he said you know what, I, I'd love for you to talk about lament. I said, well, great, your people are going to love me. <laughs> right, there's nothing more uplifting than a sermon on lament. Like, <laughs> what kind of guest preacher does that? Um, but my hope, actually, is that through our, our time together this morning, through opening up God's Word, through walking through and, and, and um, dissecting the, the psalm that Tyler just read, that we're going to gain a, a fresh appreciation for why God calls us to lament and for how, through lament, He meets us and gives us hope, even in the, the, the darkest um, moments and of, well, really the darkest moments of life and even the darkest moments of every single day. Lament isn't a very common, even the the word lament isn't a very common word to use, right? If if somebody asked you what you were doing, it's very rare you would ever say, oh, I was was lamenting, right? It's just not a vocabulary we're even familiar with, but yet it's one of the most prominent types of psalms we find in the Psalter. If you were to list out different types of psalms, or if somebody were to ask you, what kinds of psalms are there? I imagine you'd come up with all sorts of different ones. You know, there's, maybe there's like salvation psalms or there's thanksgiving psalms. And, but I think for a lot of us, lament might not even be on the list, which is interesting because actually laments are the most common times of psalms we find in Scripture, uh, just last year, we were, I, I, we were doing different things. We try different devotional things with our kids. Um, if you have kids and have tried different devotional things and something works for a while, then it doesn't work, and then you try something else, and then it doesn't work for a while, and then it, it works for a while, but then you have to try something else. If, if you feel like you're constantly changing things, I, I just want to tell you, you're in good company. Like, I feel like a part of, of parenting is like, well, that worked for a bit. <laughs> now What? <laughs> And then the next thing we, we did was in the mornings, we were reading through the psalms. We were like, okay, let's, let's start the morning by reading a psalm together. We'll, we'll read a psalm, then we'll pray in response, and we'll, we'll go into our day. And as we did, I found that's actually a really depressing way to start the day. I mean, it, it literally, the more common than any other type of psalm is a lament, which all of a sudden my kids were like, uh, okay, right? Like, I guess we've just, you know, lamented about our enemies. Let's go to school. <laughs> like we're ready to go. But the Psalms are, are all, really what the Psalms are is, is the natural poetic byproduct of the reality of our world. Right? If God is who he is, then, then we, we should expect to adore him as we see in the Psalms. If, if we are who we are, we should expect to confess to him as we see in the Psalms. And if, if grace and mercy are as rich as they are, then we should expect to cry out for salvation, which we see in the Psalms. And if the world around us and the world we're living in is as desperately fallen as it actually is, then we should expect to respond in lament. The Psalms of Lament are really just the answer to the question, how do we respond to the suffering in our lives and the suffering in our world? 
I don't think it's much of a stretch to assume that suffering is a present reality in every single one of your lives, one way or another. One of the hardest things about this is I, I don't know the specifics, right? I don't, I don't know the specific things as I look at your faces that you have endured, that you are enduring. But I know that suffering comes in countless different ways, and it comes from countless different directions. And, and, and we suffer in large, obvious ways, and, and sometimes we suffer in small, seemingly insignificant ways. But suffering is real, and it's everywhere. Right? You, you suffer when you don't get a good night's sleep. You suffer from an unkind or an unjust boss. You suffer from being constantly tempted or lured into sin. Every billboard, every advertisement, seemingly every web page. You suffer from sickness when your body doesn't function properly and you live in pain or in inconvenience or are limited. You suffer from being hurt by others constantly, every slight, every insensitivity, every insult. You suffer from hunger and from the effects of eating too much. You suffer from the effects of living in a technological, individualistic, happiness-obsessed culture. You suffer from the genetics you were born with, predisposing you towards certain weaknesses. You, you suffer from your own physical and mental and emotional limitations. You, you suffer from Satan's work in and around your life, whispering lies and affirming your shame. You suffer from imperfections in your own character and in the character of all those around you. You suffer from being too close to your family. You suffer from being too far away from your family. You suffer from the reality of death as those close to you pass away and as you come to grips with your own mortality. I mean, we could go on and on. We all suffer in countless ways every single day, and none of the ways which we suffer are insignificant. You might try to convince yourself that they're of no consequence, that they're, they're too silly to be concerned about, that they're no big deal. But over time, they pile up. And they pile and pile and pile until there's no denying the fact that you suffer and that it hurts. And it can't be denied. And as Christians, I think sometimes we get fooled into believing that the only thing or the main thing that's wrong with us is our own sin. Whenever we have problems, it must be our own fault. So, so our appropriate response must be confession and repentance. And, and while it's true that we are all sinners, and that's a whole nother sermon, just not the one I'm preaching today. It's just as true that we are all sufferers living in a horrifically fallen world. So how, how do you respond to suffering? If the reality is, and this, this isn't one of those things we normally like waking up to, right? We don't, you don't wake up and be like, oh man, I'm suffering today. I have to pretend that we're not. But, but when you're honest about it, how, how do you respond? I think sometimes we just respond with denial, right? We pretend it's not as bad as it is. We try to convince ourselves that it's not that big of a deal, or, or we only focus on the good things and try to ignore the negative parts of life in our world, right? This is the person who, who doesn't want to talk about the reality of their diagnosis. This is the person who, who keeps the difficulty they're having with their kids to themselves, just, just, just pushing through. It's the person who tries to overcome an abusive boss with, 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 with positive thinking. But we all realize sooner or later that denial is a hopeless endeavor, and it's not what God is calling us to. I think sometimes we, we respond with distraction. Oftentimes we, we respond with distraction. Right? We, we recognize the reality of the problem, but we just, we just try not to think about it. We, we gravitate towards whatever will give us an immediate boost. Right? Whatever will grab our attention and take our mind off of the reality of the suffering. Right? This is the person who, who watches TV or plays video games for hours each night just to cope with the stress of the day. The person who, who, who says, no, no, I, I need my, my me time. I need my alone time. But alone time, me time, consists purely of distraction. Not, not, not of consideration or reflection, but just trying to get away from it. The, the person who checks their phone constantly, subconsciously, trying to ward off the boredom that creeps in or the difficult realities of life. The person who's always turning to a drink just to, to take the edge off. But... 
It doesn't take long. We all realize again sooner or later that distraction is also a hopeless endeavor. And it's not what God's calling us to. And sometimes if it's not denial or distraction, sometimes we respond with devastation. The reality of the suffering becomes too much and it feels like it crushes us. We say, I, I, I can't take any more. We give in to the despondency. We wallow in self-pity. And we feel like the only thing to do is to give up. It's the person who compares themselves to every, everyone else. No, no one has it as bad as I do. Or is on an idolatrous search for, for solutions, increasingly leaving God out of the picture, just looking for something to fix this problem. Or we try to manipulate and use God to get him to, to do our bidding, to get him to, do, to, to shape the world in our image. Or the person who, who revels in, in a joyless existence, just replaying the pain over and over and over in their minds. But again, we realize sooner or later that devastation is also a hopeless endeavor. And it's not what God is calling us to. So how does God call us to respond to the suffering and pain in our lives and our worlds? Well, I, I, don't, I don't think I have to do much work to convince you that denial's probably not it. The distraction's probably not it, and devastation's probably not it. But I think we have a much harder time, we, we, we have an easier time identifying what it's not supposed to be than we do identifying what is it supposed to be. How am I called to respond then? And when we don't know what it is supposed to be, we just default to whichever one of the things it's not supposed to be that seems not as bad. And while we don't have time this morning to unpack an entire theology of suffering, I, I believe that the answer to this question begins, it starts with developing the spiritual discipline of lament. As we just heard in Psalm 13, it begins this way, to the choir master, a psalm of David. And this is important. To, to the choir master, a psalm of David is usually the part of, of scripture that you're like, oh, that's, I don't know what that is, so I skip over it and it's unimportant and I don't even give it a second thought. But in a second, I'm gonna give it a second thought. But let, let's go on. He says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy says I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I, I am shaken. Does that wording sound weird to you? Does it sound a little uncomfortable to, even to hear out loud someone Speak to God that way? This is God's word, and not only is it God's word, it's God's word given to the choir master. It's God's word given as an example of a corporate song we should sing together as we speak together these words to God. When we, come, when we come corporately together, I think we're, we're used to singing things, right? Like, like how long, or uh, your love, O Lord, right, reaches to the heavens. We, we're, we're not as familiar with singing, how long, O Lord, will you forget us forever? <laughs> right? Like, it, it doesn't, just doesn't quite bring the same tune, I actually, I think if someone told you that this was the content of their prayers, if a friend of yours said to you, you know, I was praying this morning and I was just at an end with God. And so I asked him, I asked him how long? I asked him if he was going to forget me forever. I asked him, how long do I have to, 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 to be wallowing in this and, and how long are you going to forget me? I'm afraid that most of the time, if, our friend, if a friend told you that's how they were speaking to God, we wouldn't affirm them and say, God, I'm so glad you're speaking to God that way. We would say, whoa, 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 do you know who you're talking to? 
Right? You don't talk to God that way. I mean, I would tell my son, that's not how you talk to your dad that way. But here it's given not as a consolation. This is given as an example of how God is encouraging us to talk to himself. And I'm afraid that when we, when we fail to develop the category of lament in our lives and even in our worship, we end up promoting a, a kind of, of sanctified denial. Okay, well, it's really not that. You know what? The gospel's real, so it's not really that bad. But the problem is, it is. It, it is that bad. And the gospel redeems it, but, the, but it doesn't make it less bad. I think sometimes when we, when we fail to develop this, this category of lament, we, it also develops in this kind of a sanctified uh, distraction. I know bad things are going on, but let's look at the good stuff. But as we see in this psalm, biblical lament teaches us to do, to do three things in the face of suffering. Three things biblical lament teaches us to do in the face of suffering, and the first is to acknowledge the reality of the pain. When, when we turn to God, when lament begins with being honest about the reality of the suffering. See, here's the thing about crying out to God and asking the questions that are bouncing around in your head. He knows what's bouncing around in your head. Right? It's not like, oh, I'm going to hide them because if I say them to him, then he's going to know that I have these questions. Right? He he always knows what's going on. And there's no pretending that he doesn't. And the reality is we live in a world where radical evil exists and where radical evil cannot be ignored. Some of us don't just suffer illness, but the devastating effects of cancer or a lifelong disease, or we soon will. Some of us suffer not just hurtful interpersonal relationships, but abusive ones. We, we bear the scars of physical or emotional or even sexual abuse. Or we soon will. Some of us suffer not just the difficulty of work, but a consistent inability to make ends meet, to sustain a, sustain a home, to, to feed ourselves or our families. Or we soon will. Some of us suffer not just emotional pain, but, but debilitating depression, the radical dynamics of bipolar disorder, the confusion of schizophrenia, or we soon will. Some of us suffer not just the loss of a loved one, but the loneliness of, of, of losing a spouse, or the tragedy of losing a child, or we soon will. Some of us suffer not just the difficulty of unwanted thoughts, but the oppressive nature of thoughts that haunt us every waking moment and we can't seem to get rid of. Or we soon will. Some of us have been touched by murder or genocide or oppression or persecution or rape or incest or, or worse. And lament begins with being honest about the reality of the suffering and the reality of the pain it causes. That believing in God doesn't just make it all flowers and unicorns. Lament begins with honesty and honestly crying out to God. Look at the words of some of the other lament psalms. Psalm 35, verse 11 says, Malicious witnesses rise up. They ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me for evil. My soul is bereft. Psalm 55 says, My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me, and horror overwhelms me. As one commentator puts it, these words force us to recognize that there are individuals and actions that stand in enmity and hostility against God's purposes for our whole world. We ought to be angry at evidences of evil, oppression, and injustice that violate persons and that tear down the structures of peace and wholeness that God wants to build into our daily existence. 
We can't respond in a godly way to the realities of this world if we don't start by acknowledging the reality of them and the pain and the destruction that they bring with them. But secondly, this psalm teaches us, first it, it, it teaches us to acknowledge the reality, second it teaches us to turn to God in the midst of the pain. And that's what this prayer is. That's what's fascinating here. When he says, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? When he says, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel of my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? It is, in one sense, an accusation against God. Right? It is. But it is also a prayer of faith to God. Don't, don't miss this. David here is providing us an example to follow. And it's in the face, not just of suffering and difficulty, but, it, but, but it's in the face of the sense of distance from God that he gives us an example of what to do, where to turn, how to respond when we feel like God has abandoned us, when we feel like he's distant. Because in the midst of suffering, we oftentimes also suffer the experience of divine distance. And by this, I, catch what I'm saying here. We don't experience divine distance. We experience, or we, we don't, we, we don't ha, uh, experience the reality of divine di- distance. We suffer the experience, the feeling of divine distance. And in the midst of pain, it can feel like God is really far away. It can feel like he doesn't care. It can feel like he's forgotten us. And there's great mystery in God's presence and his working in our lives, and suffering can tempt us to assume the worst of him, to feel like he's far away, even when he is very near. But as we've talked about, denial isn't the answer. Pretending I don't feel like he's distant isn't the answer. Saying, you know what, okay, I know I shouldn't feel that, I'll just stop isn't the answer, because I know you as well as I know just how easy it is to do that, right? Oh, I'll just stop feeling that. Go. God doesn't call us to pretend that we're not having the thoughts we're having. He doesn't call us to pretend that we don't have the doubts we do. But what he calls us to is to take those thoughts and those doubts to him. This is what makes lament such a powerful act of faith. Because it's a complaint, it is a complaint, it's a verbalizing of a difficulty, but it's made to him. It's declaring that he feels far off, but that in reality he's close enough to hear when I call out to him. And this is the point that addresses a lot of, I think, the confusion we have about the concept of lament. I think when we hear words like this to God or accusations against him, it makes us feel uncomfortable. Like these aren't the words that are supposed to be spoken about God. It sounds like the Israelites back in the book of Numbers, right, when they're wandering in the wilderness and they end up complaining. God provides manna and they complain about the manna. And God provides quail and they complain about the quail. And they complain about how difficult it would be to enter the promised land. And they insist on returning to Egypt where they felt like things were better because of their complaint after complaint after complaint. And in Numbers, we know how that that story ends and we know God judged them for their complaining. Right? An entire generation lost their lives for their complaining. And so we, we read this lament and we're like, I'm not sure I'm supposed to do that. It doesn't seem like that ends, up, ends well. And then we go to the New Testament and we read things like Philippians 2.14, right? And we read, do all things without grumbling or complaining. Right? My kids know that one well. And so it, it can be confusing if... if If complaining is such a big deal and so widely taught against, why are we taught to lament? And here's the difference, the key difference. Grumbling and complaining is a grievance made about God. Lament is a grievance made to God. And there is a fundamental difference. In their complaints, the Israelites were essentially looking for another God. In their eyes, their God had failed them, and so they complained to one another. 
They complained to their earthly leaders. They complained to anyone who would listen in search for a solution apart from the God who they believed had failed them. But lament is not a complaint about God. Complaint is, or, lament is not a complaint in abandonment of God. Lament is taking that complaint, which is there, taking that suffering, taking that burden, taking that, that hurt, and turning back to God with it. Even in the pain, it being an act of faith. It's an act of trust that he is the one to turn to. It's an act of a relationship that even if he feels far away, you know that if you ask him a question like how long, he'll actually hear it. And he'll actually respond. When we cry out and ask how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, it's an act of faith that he actually hears the petition. I mean, what, what are the situations that you long for a resolution about now? Right? A relational difficulty, a, a battle with sin, a temptation to loneliness, a war-ravaged world, a painfully divided country, the situations of the poor and the marginalized. I mean, just, if you think about the situations that you long for a resolution for, if you think about the things that you are frustrated by, that you are hurt by, that you... That you uh, that a complaint wells up in your heart about. Where do those complaints go? Where do those complaints go first? Facebook? Right? Twitter? Your friends? Your family? The closest person you can text? Your roommate? Or does your complaint go directly to the one true God of the universe? Do you cry out to him, how long, O oh Lord? Because where we turn in the midst of the suffering, where we turn in the midst, where our complaint is directed to demonstrates where we place our hope. And that is why God calls us to the spiritual discipline of lament to take the pain and to take the hurt and turn to him. Because the, and the act of faith that is a lament will inevitably transition into a request. If God is the one who we can bring our pain to, he's also the one who, can, who we can ask to help us in our pain. Right? And so we acknowledge the reality of the pain. Secondly, we turn to God in the midst of the pain. And then third, we learn from this, this psalm that we can ask, God, ask for God's help in the midst of the pain. He goes on in verses 3 and 4. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. This cry out to God is made as an act of faith and belief that there is nowhere else to go. So David asks God to light up my eyes. He says to bring life to his failing eyes that are on the path to death. Because he knows that the gift of life is something that ultimately only God can do something about. There's only one place to not only bring my complaint, but to bring my requests. And that's true about all the suffering that we experience too. While God will use us in practical ways to alleviate temporal suffering in one another's lives, the suffering in this world ultimately only God can do something about. It's not ultimately up to us. Sometimes he uses us as answers to prayer in one another's lives, but ultimately he is the place to turn. I think the, the idea that turning to God would, would genuinely be helpful is something that's often ridiculed in our world, right? I mean, just recently, whenever a public figure offers their thoughts and prayers in the face of a tragedy, the, the, the public response seems to be, that's not enough, right? No, no, we don't want your thoughts and prayers. We want you to do something. 
Happens repeatedly in the face of, of, of mass shootings. People call for more than just thoughts and prayers. They call for, for gun legislation or mental health services or strenuous security at schools. And while we each might have our own thoughts about what the solutions practically might be, regardless of what you think the solution is, what concerns me is that we so easily can be persuaded to downplay the importance of the impact of prayer. Instead of coming together and lamenting together and asking, seeking God's help, and we're like, wait, 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 no, no, let's try to like figure this out ourselves. Because in the face of seemingly unending violence in our city, in our country, in our world, when I see it in the face of, of, of my city in Los Angeles, when I see it over and over again, the thing that I feel more than anything isn't, oh, I know the solution, let's just go do it. The thing I feel is I feel helpless. I mean, I, I do. Like I, whether it's a mass shooting at a school or a movie theater or gang violence erupting or, or innocent people being shot by those in authority or, or faithful police officers being shot by embittered citizens, like whenever, just all sorts of things happen, I feel helpless and I wonder what could possibly make it stop. I wonder how God will redeem even things like this. I end up confused saying, Lord, what is going on? How long will this happen in our world? How long will this happen across the world with the violence that continues to break out, wars and famine and everything else? I wonder how God is working, where he's working, because you know what? To be honest, I fail to see it. I don't see it. And so I have to call out to God and say, Lord, I don't understand how long? It seems like, are you going to forget this situation forever? And of course, there are practical things that God might be calling us to do. We can, we can advocate. We can get involved with individuals. We can develop relationships. We can develop resources in the community. But while each one of these things may be something God is calling us to do in response, the problem is, and the, we end up, end up feeling the, it's a road to helplessness because the problem is we can't do it all. We're finite. We're not in ourselves the hope for the world. And it doesn't matter how many of us even team together, we can't in and of ourselves be the hope for the world. So before we ask what we should do, we have to first remember where we should turn. Why don't we lament? Do you ever wonder about it? Like, why don't we constantly, daily, regularly make a spiritual discipline of lamenting in our lives? I mean, maybe Christians here in Missoula like have this down. Like, maybe you, you get it, but this is a, an unfamiliar practice for most of the Christians I know, and I think it's because. When it comes to, when the rubber hits the road, we believe there's somewhere else to turn. We think, you know what? I could fix this. Think, you, know, you know what? You could fix this. You know what? My political party could fix this. You, you know what? My tribe of people, we could fix this. You, you know, people who think like me, people who share my worldview, they, they can fix this. But the reality is, we can't. And when we lament, it's because we remember that there's nowhere else to go. Every instance of suffering in our world ought to lead us back to lament. Every pain we feel during the day, God's calling us to lament. Every moment when we see that the world isn't the way it was supposed to be, she calls us to lament. Every relationship that breaks down calls us to lament. Every, every time we watch cable news ought to lead us to turn the TV off and come to God and lament. Every time you scroll through your news feed ought to get you to put your phone down and come to God and lament. Because every pain and disappointment and discouragement we experience personally, relationally, are all opportunities to again Turn to God. Say, Lord, we need help. And we only have one hope in this world, and it's you. When we see sin in our hearts, God calls us to stop and repent. I, I, I assume that's a familiar concept for you. But when we see suffering in our lives and in our world, God similarly calls us to stop, 
and lament. Speaking to God directly is a demonstration of hope, that there's something he can do, that he may answer the requests we make. And it's the first step to him answering those requests through us, but it's the step we can't skip over. And because lament is an act of faith, it engenders faith in our hearts when we so desperately need it the most. Psalm 13 ends this way. And it's, it's, what's interesting is that it, in the midst of what can be an unfamiliar and strange psalm, it seems to end only more strangely. Is that, is that a word? Strangely? Stranger? It says, but... Verses five and six, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now, if you were to just read through Psalm 13, right, as Tyler read through it earlier, I think oftentimes what hits our minds as we're reading through it is, whoa, wait, what just happened between verse four and verse five? Right? Like what? Whatever David took, I need some of that. Because he was like despondent, looking for like wherever, how long you can forget me forever. And then all of a sudden, the next verse, he's like, you know what? I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I'll sing to the Lord. He's dealt bountifully with me. And you're like, what just happened? Right? Like, where, how did we get here? But this, isn't, this is not like some kind of magical switch. And I think that's what we, we, we read it as. Like, oh man, I, I want to experience what David experienced in a way that just magically flips the switch and then he feels all better. But it's not like David was walking in one direction in verses one through four and then somehow like magically reversed course. Even though I think that's how we read it. David was wallowing in his suffering and making accusations against God and then somehow magically changes his attitude. But the, that reading of Psalm 13 fails to see the act of faith that verses one through four actually are. See, verses one through four are not just a verbalization of despondency. Verses one through four are prayers to God based on the assumption that he hears them. And in so doing, they they are an act of faith. And when verses one through four are a cry out to God, when we see them as an act of faith and trust and the trust in God that they are, then we realize that the natural result of David's lament is his remembering, if he's turning to God, if he's making this this calling to God and he's looking to God in this way, all of a sudden, the natural result is that he would, in the midst of turning to God, would catch a glimpse of God And remember who he actually is. And remember how, in the midst of a fallen and horribly just destroyed world, and in the midst of being a fallen and horribly destroyed sinner myself, God in his grace has, in fact, even in the midst of all of this, dealt bountifully with me. By bringing his complaint to God himself, David has set his mind on the eternal reality. Instead of running from his relationship with God, he's brought the most difficult, the the, the messiest, the most aspects of his relationship to him. Instead of complaining in search of a, a different solution, a different hope, a different God, he's brought his complaint to the one true solution. He's brought his complaint to the one true hope. He's brought his complaint to the one true God. And this echoes the the constant call in Scripture to bring our burdens, to bring our concerns, to bring our doubts. Not not to, to wash ourselves up and clean ourselves up and then go to God, but to bring all of us in the midst of our mess with our accusations and our doubts, to bring all of us to God. 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6 and 7, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. In Christ Jesus. Colossians 3 2, set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. Turn to Him. 
And now, some of you might still, just even after all of this, you might still be holding on to the, the objection that comes from not seeing this, 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 this progression happen quickly. See, the problem is we can read through Psalm 13 in about 30 seconds. But we don't tend to make this turn quite that quickly in our own lives. Right? We don't quite as quickly jump from how long, oh God, Lord, will you forget me forever to you've dealt bountifully with me. We, it seems to take longer than 30 seconds for us. And when it does, we, we try out Psalm 13 and then we're like, nope, didn't work. Right, didn't work. I tried your prayer and I don't feel like he's dealt bountifully with me still. Which is why this wasn't just a prayer given as an example, but it was written to the choir master. To be sung again and again and again. To be prayed again and again and again. So that we might learn not just to pray a prayer, but so that we might learn the spiritual discipline of lament. We might spend a long time in verses one through four before the light of verses five through six dawns. But that's why we have to keep coming back and keep bringing our laments, keep bringing our questions, keep bringing our doubts and our concerns again and again and again, not to the world out there about God, but to God himself. God is calling us to come to him again and again. And as we do, as we bring our burdens, as we bring our doubts, as we bring our questions, as we bring even our accusations to him and seek to listen to him through his word, we will ultimately be reminded of who he is. We'll be reminded of, of what he has done. We'll be reminded of how he's repeatedly throughout the history of the world redeemed his people's suffering for their ultimate good and how he promises to do so again, even in this. I think sometimes we avoid lamenting because it feels dangerous. It feels like the type of thing, like I don't, I don't want to take my mind there, I, take my, I don't want to go there with God. But don't you see that the danger isn't in lamenting. The danger is in not lamenting. The danger is in not taking and being honest about the pain and the hurt and bringing those things to God. The, 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 the danger is in not coming to God in the midst of your confusion. Because when we fail to lament, our hearts don't fail to complain. And so if it doesn't go to him, it goes somewhere else. But when we do lament, we bring our burdens to the one true hope we can have. And as we do, little by little, step by step, moment by moment, day by day, we're reminded of the goodness and the power of the God of the gospel who loved us so much that even with all the suffering we're experiencing took on himself the ultimate suffering so that we would be spared it. And not only took it upon himself but sent his son, experienced the relational pain of sending his son to do that for us. So that even when we don't understand, even when it's a great mystery, even when he feels farther away than he's ever felt, we can be assured that he will never, in fact, leave us alone, that he will always do whatever is best for us, even when it comes at an unimaginable cost to himself. Because through Christ's sacrifice on the cross, he not only became deeply acquainted with pain and suffering, with grief, 
He did it for us. So I want to leave you with a reminder, just a reminder of what we hear, what we're reminded of when we turn to God and not only express the reality of our pain and our confusion to him, but reminded in that turning of who he is. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 to 32, he says this, For what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And jumping down to verse 35, it says, Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that, that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else, in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And it is that loving, sacrificing, suffering Savior who understands the confusion and the pain when we turn to him with our lament. As we close, I'm going to pray in just a second, but I'm actually going to invite the band to, to come up. And well, I think lamenting is an unfamiliar type of prayer for many of us. And so before we talk about it and just like then go on your week and you're, you, know, you get to like Thursday and you're like, oh yeah, he talked about praying you know, like that. While it's fresh here, I want, I, want you, I want to give you an opportunity to do so, to respond in prayer just you and the Lord right now. I want to try this out right now. I want to invite you to just take a minute. We're just going to take one minute, maybe two minutes, to just to, to think of the situations in your life, in your world that you're burdened by, and to pray the words of this psalm regarding them. Right? What, what in your life is going on that you genuinely wonder how long? What, what do you see in the world around you that has you genuinely wondering how long? Ask him now. Pray the words of these psalms. Make them the, the words of your prayer wherever you're at um, before the Lord. And in, and in just a, a minute, I'll, uh, I'll close this up. Let's take a minute now.
Heavenly Father, as we come before you, Lord, I'm overwhelmed just by the, the situations and moments and hurting people and people who need salvation and painful struggles that even just come to my mind that I'm aware of. Lord, if I were to hear the thoughts and the situations and the laments of every person in this room, Lord, I could not bear it. I don't think any one of us could bear it. Lord, we would be overwhelmed. We would be confused. We wouldn't know what to do. But you do. We come to you, Lord, because you do know. Because you can bear it. Because you understand and because you contain all hope. Lord, many of us are crying out how long and, and aren't quite yet to a point where we feel like you've dealt bountifully with us. Would you meet us where we're at? Not rushing us, Lord, but understanding the pain and the difficulty and the confusion we feel. And will you give us strength, Lord, simply for this, to, to turn to you, to bring our laments to you, to be honest about the pain and the confusion and the doubt before you. It's an act of faith, Lord, because we know you hear. We thank you. We praise you for it because you are worthy of all praise. And we ask for your help, Lord, because we so desperately need it. Thank you for meeting us here this morning. Thank you, Spirit, for being with us and massaging the truth into our hearts. Help us to remember you. It's in Jesus' sacrificial and powerful name we pray. Amen.